Pam pam. Don't don't make that be the fucking start. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, The Wolf of Wall Street. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And just like The Wolf of Wall Street, we earn, spend, and party. Apart from Dave, who earns, saves, and then goes to see little known rock bands from the 1980s. (laughs) And 70s, and 70s, come on. So if you've never heard the show before, where have you been? Essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. But there's a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans, including a caption contest, a quiz, some questionable impressions, some subpar xylophone playing, and a lot of banter. Now, this week's film on trial is The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> nice. I thought we'd. Oh, uh, yeah, you thought we'd I'm escape. Glad it's come back. Yeah. yeah, you're glad it's come back. Yeah, you thought we'd escape the horror, <laughs> the Halloween sound effects. Anyway, so just to say, if you've never seen Wolf of Wall Street before, watch out because this podcast is going to be very spoilerific. So pause it, go and watch it, and then come back. Or you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to us by the lovely Captain Dave, which we will highlight in the comments below. Now, before we go on, Our last film on trial was Godfather Part 3. Now, Joel judged that trial and decided that it should be placed on the hit list. Mm. So, Joel, you have since gone away and you've watched the film. Do you think that you made the right call? Um, Well, I do, yeah, but I know Alex wasn't here, so maybe we should get his thoughts on the matter instead. Oh, yeah, I have many thoughts. Alex, (laughs) how how do you feel? Uh, Just cold rage, really. Just coursing, (laughs) coursing through me. When I was listening to the podcast on the train, I I think people were a little bit worried about me on the train, to be honest. (laughs) I just, yeah, I I, I disagreed with a lot. Obviously, I thought you did a great job, um, but yeah, I think... Yeah, there was just it was it was too much for me. It's a terrible film, so no, for me it's on the wrong list. But well done, Dave. It was it was well thought. Thank you. Thank you. But, yeah. <laughs> so this one uh, might, uh, it might justify your opinion, to be honest, Alex. So once again, I have put a poll up on Twitter and asked our friends and followers which list they think Godfather Part Three should be placed on. The masses have gone against your decision, Joel, with sixty-two percent believing that it should be placed on the shit list. We got a few comments here. Um, this is from um, What Does It Matter podcast. It has a few decent moments. Talia Shire is absolutely perfect in it. Overall, it's unnecessary duty. Um, <laughs> but from Dustin, it's great from a closure standpoint, but shit in every other capacity. <laughs> and here's one that you might like, Dave. You'd need Johnny Cochran to get that on the hit list. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Talking about highly debatable decisions, it was brought to my attention this week. So we've had a number of really positive uh, feedback from, from, from the, about the podcast. We've also had some uh, bad feedback as well, but you know, it's, it's been uh, well received. We've it's been all, able all, to... all good to help us yeah, grow. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's all good to help us change the format, make us grow a bit. And we really welcome positive or negative feedback. But I had to highlight this. Uh, we got some feedback the other day, which I think is absolutely hilarious. So uh, this is something that it's taken from iTunes. Um, <laughs> right, and the the uh, the reviewer states, I was tempted to give this podcast a go, especially when I saw you were reviewing Infinity War and Hacksaw Ridge. So far, so okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? 
However, on looking at your synopsis of Hacksaw, I saw that you couldn't help taking a cheap pop at Mel Gibson. I mean, never. (laughs) Is this just for Mel, or do you allow your reviews to be influenced by the antics of Roman Polanski. Wait, 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 wait. Or the agenda pushing of Spike Lee. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Double, d- double whammy there. Not content with just talking about the antics of Roman Polanski. The antics. I, I don't want to yeah. say what he's... I don't want to put words in the mouth there, but if they'd like to comment and just clarify what they mean by antics, <laughs> I'd, I'd be very interested. Is it to do with a court case, perhaps? Because uh, that's, that's, that's not quite the word I would use to describe. <laughs> I know. I know. It's obviously, obviously, Spike Lee has an agenda, but Roman Polanski just has antics. Oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> but the thing is, is that I don't even think we said anything Was that, that bad. Was that review written by R. Polanski? <laughs> <laughs> it was written by M. Gibson. <laughs> well, right, so the, the argument was that it was violence for violence sake and it focused too much on stereotypes perpetu- uh, perpetuated during the Second World War. But we didn't go and say that Mel Gibson is a... We actually had a rule <laughs> that we weren't allowed to talk about Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah exactly. I do think I broke that rule a couple of times, but, yeah, but there was no, a klaxon. I, was, I was brought into line. There was a klaxon to keep you in, in check. So. Also, exactly. didn't they end up on the hit list? <laughs> yeah, ended yeah. up on the hit list as well. So obviously they, they didn't listen yeah, yeah. to the show. So the funniest thing out of all of it is they clearly didn't listen to the show, otherwise they would have known that it went on the hit list. And uh, But they were so obviously outraged by the synopsis of Hacksaw Ridge that they decided to leave us a bad review. But the funniest part of it is that they gave us a two-star review. <laughs> so not even a one-star. <laughs> not even like the most negative one. <laughs> so I would love to have known what we would have to do to get that one-star review, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, oh. so yeah, thank you very much. I, I've forgotten their name now, to be honest, but it was hilarious. That really did cheer me up today. Um, so before we go on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of news. <laughs> like that, Dave. I, I love that. I love that. One of those lesser-known '80s bands I spend all my money on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, uh, so it's time for a little bit of news. What we do here is we go around in a circle and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. So first off. I think uh, following our news last week that Mike Myers is considering adding another film to the Austin Powers franchise, this week it was announced that the Shrek reboot is in the Dreamworks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, like that? Nice. Austin, you've surely seen at least one Shrek film. What do you think about this news? Do you think um, Shrek should be left alone, or can you see the appeal of a, a reboot? Well, I mean, I don't know. I've not caught up on the uh, the Shrek universe, so I'm not entirely sure. You know where we're up to on there. Whether we've got any uh, any new superheroes to deal with, or whether like the dragon babies have got their own little lives going on. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't actually remember what the last Shrek. I think maybe I've only seen Shrek one and two, and I, I think, felt like that was probably enough Shrek for me. Like it, it was, was funny, but it was diminishing returns. I yeah, think, as yeah, they got so, on. So what was that? Was the last one the fourth one? Yeah, so it's on Shrek five now, isn't it? So I see. Feel, I don't know, it feels like maybe just a little bit too much. But. So, so um, details are a bit sketchy at the moment. They don't say whether it's going to be a direct sequel or an entire reboot. And if it's a reboot, that usually means going back to, you know, yeah, groundwork. Like and reboot Shrek? Why? I know. Maybe they made a few mistakes on Shrek 3, 4, and, <laughs> and whatever, <Retcon>. whatever <laughs> other, other alternate universes they created. It's like the Michael Myers situation with Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they got confused with Michael Myers and Shrek. Mike Myers. <laughs> decided that they need to be rebooting everything from yeah, the second I thought you were going to do another Ozzy 
Aussie, Aussie compares films then. Yeah, yeah. Shrek, Shrek and Halloween together. Yeah, with the producers sort of like, yeah. well, he's not the only Michael Myers that's going to yeah. reboot a popular franchise. <laughs> um, okay, so thank you very much for that, Austin. So last week we saw the exit of the central character Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead. Shortly afterwards it was announced that Rick's story arc wouldn't end just there and that we would be seeing three Walking Dead feature films. Now, Joel, I know that you're an absolutely massive fan of the comics and of the TV series, obviously. What, what do you think about this move? Are you happy to see Rick's character arc continue? Uh, will these feature films uh, feature some of the stories from the comics or do you think they'll be entirely new tales? And if that's the case, how do you feel about that? Um, I don't like it, really. Uh, you know, I think that the TV show has been struggling for a while now. I think I read somewhere that the that the kind of ratings were an all-time low since since season one, uh, which obviously isn't good. And I know they've been losing like a lot of fans as well from the comics just because of how uh, they've handled things with the TV show. And I think, you know, if you haven't seen it, spoilers, so skip ahead a few minutes. Um, but obviously Rick Rick is still alive and it, it kind of felt as though they were keeping, you know, almost like that ace card in the back pocket. So, um, you know, people would kind of uh, stick along with the with the show to see what happened and... Obviously, they they can't go back now. They can't um, use the same storyline that they've had in the comics because wherever Rick went, he went in a helicopter. Um, so it's not like he can just kind of come back and visit his, his old gang again. So it feels a, a little bit like a cash grab to me. And they are going to be uh, team TV movies, aren't they? The AMC have already bought the, yeah. bought the movies. Um, so I'll watch them, but I'll probably moan about them a little bit as, as always. <laughs> But I think the thing as well, which I find odd, is that the TV show has just jumped six years in the future now. So I don't think Andrew Lincoln's going to make a return to The Walking Dead anytime soon, but I imagine him making it in the future. So say if he makes a return in like another six years, that'll be 12 years maybe since he's, his character's been on the show. Well, I, I'm sure, I, I mean, I can't remember the actual facts here, but I'm sure I read a news article that said they want to run it for something like 20 plus seasons. So well, we've covered it as, as news saying that the... Um, the Producers at AMC wanted to run it for fifty years. Fifty, fifty years. years, five zero. It it from the sounds of things. I don't really watch it that much. It sounds like it's jumped the shark a little while ago. To be honest, it, it, it sounds definitely like it's on its descent rather than yeah, yeah. It's it. If better. it's fifty like, years, it's going to be like Coronation Street or EastEnders, isn't it? But with zombies. I mean, that's what I'd Coronation that. Street has been <laughs> clambering for for years. To be honest, needs a few zombies to spice it up in there. Okay, well, thank you very much, Joel. Uh, talking about TV to film adaptations this week, Vince Gilligan announced that a Breaking Bad movie was in development. So details, once again, are still under wraps, but it's thought that the story would focus on Jesse Pinkman after the events of the TV show. So Aaron Paul has, uh, has reportedly signed on, and Brian Cranston has also expressed interest in being a part of this, although it has in no way been confirmed as of yet. Alex, you're a big fan of the TV show. What do you think? Do you think this is a good move? Do you think that um, more of the story can be told? Um, were you unsatisfied with Jesse's mm, character's resolution? That's the point. I, I was completely satisfied with the ending of Breaking Bad. I thought it was a very good ending and it brought it all together. I think the way it's almost like Jesse's gone insane at the end of it, I, I thought that was quite a good way for his character to to end almost. You know, it's, it, the whole thing has taken its toll on him mentally. So I was very happy with the way it finished. I thought it was one of the best endings to a TV show, really. So I have no... I, I, I didn't finish with me thinking, I want to see more, I want to see a film. I just thought that was hell of a good finish. All good stories need a good ending, and that one had it. So I, it smacks of cash grab. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's much more in the story. But then again, they did make Breaking Bad, and it was a very good story. So they, they this, mean no more to me. I don't know. This might surprise you guys, but I have not seen Breaking Bad. Shit, I've no. seen the... Um, <laughs> I think I saw like the first... Three or four episodes. Thought it was great. 
But in the first episode, it does set up that he's got terminal terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't have thought he would last more than two seasons or however many seasons it lasts. Um, Watch it and see. Although, yeah. if you ever but, do fancy dress, you could pull off a really good Walter, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, you could, yeah. No, so uh, Vince Gilligan, right at the very beginning, he said... <laughs> to look, to like a, <laughs> look like a terminally ill drug dealer. <laughs> Chem- chemistry, <laughs> te- <laughs> chemistry teacher, I think. A, fa- a fashionable one. <laughs> a chemistry teacher that washes cars in his first time. Cheers, man, so, thanks. So, uh, right at the beginning, Vince Gilligan said it's going to be it's going to run for five seasons, and it did. He came out, I think, and at the beginning of um, the Better Call Saul, and he said the same thing. It's going to run for five seasons, and he seems to be, you know, sticking to his word. He hasn't, you know, he saw that it was coming off um, really popular, and I, I imagine that the studio probably threw a lot of money at him to say, "Can yeah. you stretch this out a bit?" But he said, "No, it's going to be ten, thirteen episode series, and I'm only going to do five. He's had a lot of success with Better Call Saul as well, which I think has been fantastic. So I think. That I don't know. I, I mean, it, maybe it is a cash grab, but I think if all the people that is going to mm, do it justice, yeah. I think he's the guy. To be honest, is it going to be a TV movie again or a proper like, I cinema am, release? Yeah, I can imagine it being a TV movie. To be, I honest. think that'd be better because that's more. It'd be quite a jump to go for a cinema release. But although I, I, I'll probably make money though, it's like popular yeah. enough, yeah. isn't it? Every every everyone I've ever heard who's watched it says it's great. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, no. well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so can, can anybody can anybody hear that? No. Well, that's that? uh, the death, but the death the bells dead, is are tolling for uh, for Captain Dave's weekly obituary. Oh, yeah. I, I've got theme music now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't do this weekly. Okay, <laughs> I just do when someone noteworthy dies and is worth mentioning. Come on, and I can't help but notice that it's also the Undertaker theme tune, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, wrestling theme tunes. Yeah, um, this week I did think this was quite noteworthy, and it's worth mentioning the news. Um, actually, just before we were ready to record. We lost Stan Lee, gentlemen. Stan Lee has unfortunately passed away, creator of, well, many, many Marvel superheroes. Um, passed away age 95, so at least he got some good innings. But I'm going to hand over to Joel, who probably knows a little bit more about Stan Lee than I do, being such a big fan of the comics. Uh, Joel, any any um, tributes you'd like to lead? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's very, very sad news, and he'll be missed by a lot of people. But if you look at the legacy he's left behind, you know, I think, obviously, he was, and, you know, that will be everlasting. So I think... That's the best tribute to him, really. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it's, it's just such a shame that we've seen the last Stanley cameo in a Marvel film as well. I'm, um, I'm hoping he's filmed, so he must have filmed one I for Captain he, Marvel. I reckon he filmed loads. Oh, yeah. then I heard that he filmed like a whole block of them. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's just got like, you know, 30 second reels of every single situation and they just <laughs> patch him into random yeah. films. Okay, what, no, no, I've already done an ice cream, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very, very sad news, but he, he, the man was an absolute icon, to be honest, and an absolute inspiration to like, graphic designers, comic book artists, like, kids everywhere you know and as you said Joel he's left a fantastic legacy behind but it is such a such a shame so uh, so thank you very much for that Dave um, uh, you know hopefully it is no weekly thing <laughs> yeah I hope not if, we, if I don't hear that music until January I'll be quite happy <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, now moving on to Alex's regular segment uh, this week Alex's film feels <laughs> <laughs> I saw you had sunk up your sleeve there, you, you little son of a bitch. Um, right, uh, my film field, looking at uh, Wolf of Wall Street, obviously huge uh, drug taking in this film. So it made me think, what's the most sort of memorable drug taking scene in any film you've ever watched? Right. Most memorable. 
Um, it's, it's a tough one, I think. I think probably Wolf of Wall Street, the oh, uh, wow. the scene... Um, I can't remember the actual but drug. What's I, your role again? I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, this is the first one that comes to mind where he takes the um, the like thirty year old pills. I can't remember Quailute. the the, the, lem, the lemo things, um, and the uh, you know they have like a delayed reaction to them. And uh, there's that sequence where he kind of crawls the car, rolls down the stairs. And then he thinks he's got his car home okay, and you know it turns out yeah, he's, that he's, it. Yeah. he's absolutely smashed yeah. it to oblivion. So that that one definitely sticks out, not biased at all. <laughs> I quite like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. Good one. Yeah. Which which bit in particular? Um, uh, fucking golf shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bit in the club with the white rabbit. Uh, you know, yeah. fan, fantastic to be honest. Um, yeah, kind of makes me want to think about doing drugs. And going to Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I I would possibly say train spotting, you know, when he goes into the carpet. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I just think that's fucking fantastic. It's really well done. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, um, oh, I'll go with um, in Bruges. If anyone who I know who's done cocaine always ends up in this sort of moment of realisation where something really just weird is going on. Yeah. Like you sober up. And that bit where he's, um, so he's doing drugs with the... Uh, Dwarf. With the dwarf Peter guy Dinklage. with the little, yeah. little, little, is it Peter Dinklage? Yeah, it is, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he's like, the guy's racist. He just suddenly has this realization <laughs> that he's in a really weird situation. I think that's just so well done. That's a good film as well. So. Yeah, yeah, that was a good film. film. Dave, I was going to go with Fear and Loathing. You got me. Sorry, on. mate. Sorry, you got me. That that old Big Lebowski. You know all the dream sequences. <laughs> oh, Big yeah, Lebowski. Yeah. Fucking love those. Right, well, thank you very much for that, Alex. Um, So on to the bulk of the show. This week's film, as mentioned before, is The Wolf of Wall Street. And it has been picked out of the hat at random, as have all of our roles. So in the role of defence and trying to get the film placed on the hit list is Joel. In the role of prosecution and trying to to condemn the film to the shit list is Brucey. And just like real court advocates, Joel and Alex are making the best case for their role. Uh, This may or may not be their real opinion, so stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their real thoughts. Now, in the role of character witnesses and lending their genuine opinions to either argument to try and throw a little bit of extra weight behind them are Captain Dave and Austin. Which means this week I have the most important role, as I will be playing the judge. I must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to me and not using my own opinion. Now, I have seen this film, but just like the majority of what Joel says, I've completely forgotten it. So this could go either way, to be honest, guys. <laughs> now, before we get started, I think it's time to give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what the film is about and to spin the Wheel of Impressions. Okay, so here what we do is we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it's landed on Alex, and <laughs> you have got to read the synopsis in the style of who, guys? I don't know, I was just trying to think of something distinctive from Wolf of Wall Street. Um, Matthew McConaughey, the beginning, where you've got to beat your chest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Okay. Um, Based on the true story of uh, Jordan Belfort, from his rise to a wealthy stockbroker, living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government. All right. <laughs> that was a bob on John Travolta. Mate. <laughs> okay, so I want a good clean fight here, guys. And without further hesitation, let me kick off proceedings, please, starting with Joel. All right, well, I'm going to start off with a quote that kind of sounds like a bit of a dig, but it's not. So it's from GlobalMail.com. It says, The Wolf of Wall Street is outrageous, an offence against modesty, 
a same a shameless celebration of bad conduct and that's exactly what it is so this film is probably one of if not the best of scorsese's entire you know already outstanding back catalogue it runs for a full three hours but that feels only long in terms of abundance there's just so much here so many characters so many famous faces so many turns of story brilliant set pieces that the time just absolutely flies by the film genuinely blew me over you've got to look at it as a dark comedy it's almost in the same vein as something like goodfellas but a more modern uh, less violent version uh, the acts that jordan commits in the film you know are terrible he robbed a lot of people and the film does kind of make very light of that but as i say you've got to look at it as a dark comedy it's a blistering blistering caricature really of the ethical rot that led to the wall street crash in 2008 he jokes about being so rich that even when finally in prison he had so much money that he spent his days lounging around and playing tennis so the film is based on his memoirs he didn't really care what he was doing was wrong he was just too wrapped up in the lifestyle drugs women yachts cars and boy you know this film really shows that well the movie gazes into the abyss and just completely laughs out loud you'd be forgiven really for watching this film and thinking it's a work a work of fiction it opens up with a, a dwarf tossing contest. Um, the whole film is just doused completely in testosterone. And as such, although a villain, the film kind of praises Jordan. It makes you enjoy him. It really makes you kind of get behind him and almost cheer when he's stealing, you know, everybody else's money. It's genuinely hilarious to watch as well. There's so many standout comedy moments. The best is one that I just touched on then when he has the uh, lemon drug. He thinks he's managed to drive home okay. Turns out that he's just absolutely obliterated his car. That moment will probably stay with me for a long time. And Scorsese also does a really good job of showing us how Jordan believed he was a hero in his own mind. Of course, we see him for what he really, really, for what he really was. Sorry, but the real Jordan believed in short that he kind of knew how to use and spend the money better than those who originally owned it. And that's a quote, uh, you know, from the man man himself. Individual sequences are filmed brilliantly. Scorsese's employment of freeze frames, slow motion, tracking sh- tracking shots still put many imitators to shame, which almost feels like a very strange point to make, given that it's a film about stock traders. Um, and, you know, there's no kind of, you know, beautiful shots or anything like that in this film. It's just very, very well done. And what keeps the en- energy percolating is DiCaprio's performance, which I'll go into a little bit more in detail later on. But he's the loosest and most charismatic turn of his career. The character is a complete moral idiot, but his sheer irrepressibility is almost a virtue. He's kind of a twisted evangelist who preaches to his staff of hustlers that the religion of capitalism is not about saving souls, but finding more people to screw over. There's also a good guy here, though he takes a while to show up, and that's the FBI agent Patrick Denham, who, as seen by Jordan, is one of those underpaid schnooks who needs to punish those with more imagination and courage than than himself. And in one of the movie's most surreal sequences, Jordan invites the cop onto his yacht and it ends with Jordan throwing bills off the yacht at the the FBI agent. The entire scene is is a beautiful little one-act play of gamesmanship and shifting status between the two men. And, you know, just a quick mention as well, just the whole kind of movie has gone down in, in pop culture. You know, with so many memes on this movie, the image of Jordan with his arms out is just adapted into a different meme every single day. Um, you know, I saw one uh, on Facebook the other day. It was, uh, you know, when 
uh, when you're out with your boys and you get a, a text from your missus asking you to come home and the meme was uh, Jordan saying, I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's gone down in pop culture. It's gone down as an instant classic. And I feel like I'm leaving a lot out just by fitting it into this small review. Uh, but we'll touch on the performances later on, which absolutely make the film. Thank you very, very much, Joel. Alex, like to come back at that, please? Yeah, um, I would sort of agree with what Joel started on when he said that this film sort of is shameless. I would kind of go with that. Um, obviously, you know, like Joel's saying, it's a dark comedy, but it takes... It's a very odd film in the sense of it takes this Jordan Belfort, who's clearly just the the worst of a human being, especially... not It would be terrible anyway, but especially considering what we know about the financial crisis and it was caused by people like Jordan Belfort. To, to sort of show him in this... It is showing him in this good light, basically. I mean, obviously, it shows all the bad things as well. But I think, I think Scorsese was trying to do something very hard here, and he was trying to show it just as it is. This is how this is what his life was. Just look at it, you know, without almost this judgmental thing. And I think that's an interesting way to go. But I think actually, there needed to be a stronger moral standpoint in this film. Jordan Belfort is just an, an, an awful human being, and the things he does in this film are absolutely awful. You know. If this had been like a fictional character, then maybe that would have been different. But this is a real person who's destroyed real lives. And I think a lot of victims who would watch this film would just be like, this is kind of a puff piece for Jordan Belfort. The the legacy of the film is actually pretty awful as well. I don't know if, obviously not intended, but Instagram now, you have all of these Instagram people that Jordan Belfort is now their hero. This made Jordan Belfort a hero to people rather than the other way around. Not intentionally, I don't think. I don't think um, Martin Scorsese or Leonardo DiCaprio, who executively produced it, managed to, wanted to have that happen. But it, it, it shows certain things about him and it doesn't have like a moral standpoint behind it really. So it shows this terrible conversation it has um, between uh, Jordan and his colleagues when they're talking, when they're going to do the, the dwarf throwing contest. And the way they're talking about it is just awful. I mean, it's really reprehensible, the language they're using to talk about these people. And it's got this comic slant to it as well. Are we meant to look at it in a sense of going, oh no, this is just, these are terrible people, the way they're talking about it. Or is it is it a little bit, and this film is a little bit guilty of having its cake and eating it. It's saying, oh, aren't these terrible people? But also look at all the money, look at all the cars, look at all the, the babes, look at all of these things. You know, it it's kind of saying it's wrong and yet at the same time being successful and popular exactly because it's showing those things which it needed a bit of a stronger moral message to really to to, to really bring it home i felt um you know it's martin scorsese so i'm not going to say that this film isn't well made in that sense do you know what i mean it's it's got a tight script great shots all, all of those things are there you know it's not a poorly made film whatsoever i'm just saying that it, it's kind of an immoral film in in a way and i feel that's in its treatment of women, in its greed and excess, in its treatment of uh, of all sorts of people, really, I just don't think it's very. It's it, it, it's it's a bad film from that point of view. I think they went for a stylistic choice in not moralising about it, but I just think if it had just a little bit of a stronger message, it, it would have been a better film for it. Well, thank you very very much for that, Alex. Very interesting points, to be honest. Um, so I've got a couple of questions here. Uh, first of all, Joel, was there anything you want to come back on there? Um, yeah, I mean, I did t- I did touch on it, but the film is based on Jordan's memoirs, so 
they aren't going to cover, you know, the side of the victims, which, and you know, Alex's point, you can't really argue with it. A lot of people were affected, you know, massively and adversely by by Jordan Belford. But that's not what this film is about. As I say, you know, it's a dark comedy. If you're easily offended, then it's probably not a film that you're going to enjoy. Um, and I think that, you know, as I say, the opening sequence is a dwarf, cos- dwarf tossing contest. If you watch the first kind of two minutes and you're offended by it, you know, I think most people would, would, would turn it off at that point. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, it, it is what it is and it doesn't try and hide from that fact. So, And Alex, why didn't you turn it off after those two minutes then? What do you mean? I'm joking. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, we so, know why. But my question here, uh, Dave, as one of the character witnesses, what I'm finding hard to understand is Jordan Belfort, is it? But Belf- Belfort, yeah. Belfort. Um, who, who is he in the film? I mean, it sounds like he's he's a villain that they're painting as a hero, or is he a hero that they're painting as a villain? I mean, it sounds like the former. Um, Joel says that he's ripping people off and he's a horrible guy, but it's a it's a dark comedy. You know, we're supposed to kind of look at this life of excess and think, oh, you know, how did anybody live like this? Alex is saying that it's having its cake and eating it. We needed a strong moral message, but instead it's gone. Oh yeah, this is bad, but hey, it's funny though, isn't it? I mean, what what do you think about this? Is he a villain? Um, are we kind of creating some sort of icon for Instagram whoppers here? Should he be condemned more? Yeah, um, I have to agree. I think it does. He's definitely a villain, and he is almost made out to be a hero in this. It's it's seriously lacking in moral fibre, this film. I think it does sort of uh, glamorise the decadence and the debauchery that Jordan Belfort indulged in, and it doesn't, like, like both are acknowledged, it doesn't cover the damage he did. You know, he stole millions essentially and you know you could argue oh it's not stealing those people gave him their money willingly but he he, he conned it out of people he was a fraudster and yeah he did do a lot of damage a lot of people would have lost their homes would have lost a lot of things and this it just isn't really covered and it's just you know instead it's like let's just watch him take drugs aren't drugs fun and you know aren't, aren't him and his mates fun isn't this hilarious and it's just it's yeah it's I have to say, yeah, it's, it's, it is it is lacking something. Alex is right when he says it's lacking a moral point. It's or lacking a point in general. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, did this film need to be made? You could argue. Thank you. Um, and Austin, I mean, following on from that, I, I, did you enjoy the film? Were, were you kind of put off a little bit by the by the message of the film? Did you think like, oh, I can't enjoy this because of how heinous this guy is? Uh, not in the slightest, actually. It, it, for me, it actually I felt as though maybe the whole the whole reason of it not being included was to make you, um, to get involved with it. I thought, I felt that it was more poignant because they didn't make the big moral point. It was always from his point of view. It was always like, we're having fun. I'm just looking out for number one. I'm getting all this money and I'm just having fun. But yeah, but do you, and I, I, I enjoyed it for, so, so thinking about idea. Alex's point of view where you're saying it's like having your cake and eating it. Do you think that maybe they should have included that then? Or do you think that um, it would have taken away something from the film? I, I don't think it would have been as successful as it was or as good a film as it was if they'd have tried to make a a real moral, a, a very uh, overt sort of moral, moral choice towards you. Yeah. And what about Scorsese's direction in it? Was, I, was it like kind of a typical Scorsese? Did he do anything here that, I mean, Joel, one of the points that Joel made is that it's, you know, essentially a film about stockbrokers and, you know, Scorsese makes it really interesting. It's incredibly, it's incredibly interesting and it is long. It's three hours long. I sat there in a really cold, so that when I watched it, it was in a really cold warehouse in a really hipster joint in London. 
And um, of course it was. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, um, and it didn't feel like three hours at all. It was. Um, it was. It was really exciting. To be clear, I watched it in my gym jams, <laughs> eating Doritos at home. I, I, hipster I, gym jams. At least. Yeah, I feel like maybe the location uh, helped me to enjoy it further. Okay, and Dave, as somebody who maybe didn't enjoy it as much as Austin, did, were you put off by the time? Did you feel it? Um, no, no, I didn't. It, it, it flew by. It does keep you at. It does keep you entertained. You know, Martin Scorsese's direction is brilliant. His pacing is fantastic. You know, moral standpoint aside, the film is incredibly entertaining and very watchable, and those three hours do fly by. I mean, granted, I was having a lot of Colombian marching powder as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Less openness and honesty, please, Oscar. Um, So just before we go on to the second point, Dave, have you got any trivia about this film you want to get off your chest? Uh, Yeah, if we're we're bringing trivia back as well. I have to say, this needs to be known. Dave can't go an hour without sort of slipping trivia into some sort of conversation. That that is actually quite true. So yeah, now I've got an obituary section and a trivia bit. Yeah, there is one bit of trivia I want to... One of the big scenes that Joel's mentioned before is is drug-induced trying to drive his car home from the golf club, I think it is. I think it's a golf club. club, There was a point where he he crawls down the steps, tries to open his car door with his foot, and that was apparently DiCaprio's idea to try it that way, but his foot got caught in the handle. And when he gets hoisted up by it, they were only able to do one take of it because he ripped something in his back as the car door hoisted him up. That was the only time they were able to do it. And yeah, he, uh, he really didn't injure himself. So when he screams, it might actually not have been entirely acting at that point. I, I also heard as well that the actors um, actually snort and stuff on set and it was actually crushed B vitamins. So vitamin B tablets. Um, and Jonah Hill claimed that he snorted so much of it that they eventually become sick and had to be hospitalized with bronchitis. Wow. So <laughs> happens. Yeah, well, apparently Jeez. so, yeah. Not vitamin and, B's bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mo- moving on to the second point. Uh, so we're going to talk about casting characters a little bit, I think. A little bit about casting characters. Okay, so Alex, would you like to kick off, please? I'm not, if I'm honest, I'm not going to talk too much about cast because uh, the cast are pretty good. Yeah, I can't. Um, <laughs> the, the cast are pretty good in this. Like, they're pretty stellar cast. It's a Martin Scorsese film again, so it's hard to go against Martin Scorsese on his direction or his cast. You know I mean? He gets, he gets very good actors in. Uh, there are a few exceptions. I actually didn't like Jonah Hill in this film particularly. I found him quite annoying. Don't know what was going on with his teeth. And uh, yeah, I, I just thought he was a good little character, but as a larger character, he was pretty one-dimensional and got pretty annoying after a while. So I, I, I wasn't a big fan of him. I also thought Rob Reiner was quite annoying after a while. He was just really loud and explaining what everything was going on. And it was just kind of just being Rob Reiner. So there was just a few instances when people had clearly been unleashed rather than actually sort of directed. But um, but like, like I say, maybe those are smaller annoyances on the cast. Character-wise, it's a different story. Um, I'm going to say the treatment of women in this film. The women characters are particularly poor, I think. Uh judging that it's either a i think the 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 female character is basically his first wife who is just a shrew i would say is but is pretty much sums her up and then his second wife margot robbie robbie who is just a, a vapid um gold digger basically uh again with no morals um they're just not particularly deep portrayals of of women in this film there's also a, another woman who works for jordan but again it's not really explored i know it's stockbroker i know it's kind of a a macho male driven thing um culture but i just thought 
that there was no need for them to be that particular particularly poor. And I was really thinking about it. Is this because it's from Jordan Belfort's point of view? Is this how he would have seen the women? But actually, no, this is also as well as being from his point of view, that's also an actual true story. So to sort of portray this women like this, I just it was a bit odd and I don't think it can be kind of argued away that one a little bit. I just didn't I just didn't think they were very, very good. Um you know, there's a lot of people who are supporting in, in supporting roles who are kind of just comic, basically. They're, they're not, they don't seem like real people in the film, you know. His friends who he goes and, 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 and becomes and takes them into the financial world and makes them these uh, terrible sort of vicious rat stockbrokers. He, um, they're, they're not really, they don't feel like real people. They're kind of comic people, but because they're not real people, maybe a little bit of um, strength is lost in the film, especially when towards the end he has to turn on those friends. You don't really feel like they are actually close friends to him particularly, especially like, for example, Jonah Hill, who you just can't take seriously because he's playing it so as such for laughs all the time. So I, I just feel like if there'd been a little bit more, these are real people rather than just complete comic characters then that would have been a little bit stronger. But like I say, it's it's not badly acted. I'm not going to say that. I just think some of the characters could have been a bit more layered, I think, and that would have maybe made a bit more, a bit, bit more of a punch to the film, I think. Okay, thank you very much. Joel? Yeah, okay. Um, so this is the film that Leo should have won an Oscar for, in my opinion. You know, he's that good. I think I've mentioned it in other... Uh, kind of episodes of this podcast as well and I think you know they knew that at the Academy Awards and they almost kind of tried to right the wrong by tokenly giving him an Oscar for his next film Um, but the biggest thing you know DiCaprio's triumph is that he makes us enjoy this kind of almost magnetic monster he radiates the kind of sort of warped charisma that explains how a, a hustler um, could build such a big empire. He makes the character really credible and, in fact, unforgettable. Um, you know, when he dances like a knot and he's flying a hundred dollar bills and cook lobster at FBI agents, you know, you really kind of feel like you're you're looking at just a, a massive douchebag and not an actor playing one. And kind of the look into Caprio's eyes when he realizes that he can't buy the the FBI agent, it's just pure rage. And you know, you really do feel like you're watching the actual character Jordan rather than you know, rather than an actor. Jonah Hill massively disagree with Alex. He's sporting Ross Geller style white teeth. Um, <laughs> he plays, he plays Donnie. He's kind of very abrasive. Um, he's kind of the least integrating character ever, I would say. Yet probably one of Jonah Hill's actual, actually funniest roles. Uh, in one kind of insane passage, he and Belfort kind of wreck, get wrecked on Qualudes, I think they're called. Um, and they kind of go through like the worst night in recorded history. It's one of the most idiotic but lovable sequences in the entire film. And I'll, I'll touch back to that point I made earlier on when, you know, you could say that you could be forgiven for thinking that this is a work of fiction. Some of the stuff that happens is just that outrageous and that ridiculous. And I think the film does that very, very well. Margaret Robbie as uh, Naomi. Uh, Jordan describes her as a sexy trophy wife. Uh, this is definitely a coming-of-age performance for her. She's feisty, she's charismatic, she does a really, really good job of showing why Jordan desired her so much and that he'd do anything to get her. You know, he, he left his first wife for her, and I think she portrays that really, really well. She smashed it out of the park. There's so many other performances in here, Matthew McConaughey, uh, you know, Kyle Chandler, Rob Reiner, John Berthold, uh, John Favreau. There's just so, so many, and I think all of them, absolutely all of them are spot on. I don't think there's a bad performance in this entire film. Uh, the women, you know, uh, just to 
touch on a point that Alex said then, they they are treated as, as Jordan saw them and as Jordan treating them. This is a film about his memoirs. It's it's based on his memoirs. It's not a retelling of his story. Um, it's it's literally Jordan's memoirs, kind of as, as Scorsese sees it. Uh, you know, he shaves a woman's head in one day. I think they spend 32 grand on prostitutes or something like that. And, you know, Alex says, you know, why are women portrayed like that? But I don't think you can have both sides of the coin. You've got to kind of go big or go home, if you like. You've got to be all in. If, you know, we you watch this film, and I think everybody agrees here that you, you believe that he's, you know, he's a bit of a shit, let's be fair. Um, if the character... Sorry, if it portrayed women differently or if it portrayed Jordan differently, you you know, you might be sat here and you'd, you'd be a little bit confused about the character. You have to go all in on this film and that's why all the set pieces, all the, um, you know, the the ludicrous uh, goings on within the, uh, within the stock trading business are absolutely, uh, you know, a must for this film because it, it just ties it all together. It makes you believe that what you're watching is what really happened. And, um, you know, the, the film is much, much better off for it. And as I say, there isn't a single bad performance here. Everybody played the part just absolutely admirably. Thank you very much for that, Joel. Alex, anything you want to come back on? Um, no. No? Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> so, Joel, just to say that it's Margot, Robbie. Margot. Margot. <laughs> Like we had this debate, I don't know, for about twenty minutes before we actually start recording. It, it, all I'll say is it's definitely not Margaret. <laughs> it is not Margaret. Rob. I'll give you that one. Okay. Um, so, right. So, so what do you guys think, Ozzy? Um, I should I should just clarify as well, Ozzy, that we are talking about the Wolf of Wall Street and not American Werewolf in London. I mean, just in case. You, you, I know yeah, how you I like to get confused. <laughs> confused. I was wondering why we kept bringing up Leonardo DiCaprio. So. <laughs> so one of Alex's points here that I think is quite interesting is the characters, the the side characters in the film feel a little bit like superfluous, a little bit like comedic comedy relief. Um, is that the case? Do you think that you lose something from the characters by them being this sort of this comic relief and? that when Jordan does betray his friends at the end, you don't really feel anything for them because you haven't really formed a relationship with them. I I don't, I disagree with that. I mean, I agree with, with Alex that, yeah, maybe those characters aren't as well fleshed out, but that's because like Joel says, it's, it's written from, um, it's written from Leonardo's, DiCaprio's point of view, you know what I mean? Not it's, his point of view. Not his point of view. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jordan Bell. Jordan's uh, point of view. Um, so, so those, those guys, you know, he's very selfish, so they don't really count. But I feel like there's enough of them, and there's enough of their story portrayed that you um, that you do feel for that. You know, you do feel for them. I think you do understand the gravity of what he's doing by by grasping everyone up. And um, yeah, and I, I don't think it's a you know by um, betraying everyone. I don't think it's. I think you do feel for them, and I think it's quite a powerful scene. Okay, um, to do that, yeah. and Dave, like Joel says that this is Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance or one of them anyway, and that he should have won the Oscar. Do you, do you agree? How, how good is the performance? Yeah, I'm with Joel on that one. Actually, I think he um, he delivers a better performance here than he does he does in Revenant, which eventually won him the award. I do think, yeah, this was the chance he should have got it, and I think that maybe they gave it to Revenant because they knew they missed their opportunity to give it to him for Wolf of Wall Street. He he is fantastic in this, there's no denying. And uh, female characters, as Alex said, he thinks that they are grossly mistreated. 
said um, jo- um, Joel and he said Jordan then <laughs> is arguing that well it's just staying truthful to Jordan Belfort's um, memoirs um, Alex said that you could you know read between the lines there you could flesh them out a little bit more and make them less one dimensional yeah both both are making perfectly valid points there to be honest with you I think um, Margot Robbie I think she gets enough screen time and she's great in this she does a, gives a really good performance the one I would have liked to see a bit more from um, was his original um, his first wife Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't really get to see very much of her. And, you know, it would have been interesting to find out, you know, she was with him for a long time. It would have been interesting to to see the person that he, she helped him to become and what have you. It would have been nice to see a bit more from her. So I felt she was more swept under the carpet. I think Margot Robbie gets plenty of screen time and she uses it very well. Um, otherwise, no, the female characters are, are not particularly well written in that respect. But Joel makes a good explanation as to why. And there's something that I forgot to ask before. So Alex made a point about uh, the victims of Jordan Belfort not kind of um, being given credit to this and, uh, you know, the fact that we are holding this guy up to be a bit of a hero or an icon. And actually he left a lot of victims in his wake and, you know, his his accounts are seen as more like a comedy and it doesn't actually treat the crime seriously um do, do, do you agree um or do you think that it like something like this needs to be told with a funny tint on it um no i mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree with with alex that it doesn't touch on <laughs> the victims are not considered in the slightest and that's that's kind of what makes the film good i reckon because we as uh, as consumers you know we watch this from from his point of view and i don't care like i don't give two fucks about the people he's hurting because it's all about him the story is all about him and i think that's i think that's tantamount to to good storytelling that i don't care who he hurts i just want to see how it progresses for him and dave i mean you know he sounds like a a villain but he's held up as a bit of a hero as well do you think that he gets a good comeuppance at the end i mean do do you think there's a good sort of final um resolution to his character no not at all the um the final bit of the film is him he's having lost quite a lot of his money and done a, a, a very short very short yeah. stint in jail um is him giving a, he's now a motivational speaker in australia <laughs> which eventually although the film doesn't show it that actually turned out to be a scam as well which he did um i think mm. had to leave australia for um but like the final slap in the face, really, for me watching the film was the fact that Jordan Belfort himself cameos as the man introducing yeah, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio as Jordan Belfort. And it's just like, it just reminds you, oh, Jordan Belfort, the man himself, the man who did all these horrible things, the man whose mind we have unfortunately just been let in for the last three hours, <laughs> has made a lot of money from what you've just watched, what you've just been yeah, sitting down watching for, for three yeah. hours. And you know what? If he goes to be a motivational speaker again, he's probably going to make even more money, be able to charge even more than he previously did because of this film. And it is a bit of a slap in the face. And I'd imagine it must be a bit more than that to any victims who genuinely did lose a lot of money because of the real Jordan Belfort. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Uh, Closing arguments. Uh, Joel, would you like to go first? Okay. Uh, So the cliche about tales such as The Wolf of Wall Street is that they tell a quintessentially American story. And sometimes cliches are true, but the allure of Jordan as a character is not that he represents something poisonous in the American soul, but rather that he represents a poisonous byproduct. The drive for splendor, the belief in endless reinvention. Jordan has the same dream most Americans have, only he gets sick on it. And it's truly fascinating and hilarious to watch. The ridiculous uh, levels that this film reach will keep you entertained for hours. And it's a film that will live long in the memory. Okay, Alex, your minute starts now. 
What we didn't need after a huge financial crisis that wiped out most of the global market was a film that lionizes someone who basically contributed towards it. It probably wasn't intended to be a puff piece for Jordan Belfort, but that's exactly what it's become. Uh, and I think if they'd mm, sort of reined it in a little bit and maybe had a bit more of a moral backbone to the film, then I think this would have been a much better film for, for for me i just don't think i think it's too soon i think it's too real i think if they wanted to do it they should have maybe based a character on jordan belfort but i think like we've said it quite a few times it's just a slap in the face for anyone who was actually treated terribly and and ruined by this utter utter shit of yeah. a man yeah. <laughs> 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 i love that you were trying, doing your absolute best not to say Sorry, that but and then uh, ran out of time because of it right. oh, okay um so uh, while i'm uh, typing up my notes here dave i think it's your turn for a quiz this week yes it is um i've actually done a quiz kind of in two parts so this first part um basically it's a higher or lower round i'm going to give you um a few other f- famous characters from films, real people played in films uh, who were kind of like white-collar criminals, if you will. It, it, Google said white-collar criminals. Some of these are quite questionable. But um, either way, I want you to tell me, starting with Jordan Belfort, did they ser- did, were they sentenced sorry, to more time in prison or less than Jordan Belfort? <laughs> well, each one preceding the last. And I want sentence, not time served, because Jordan Belfort did, uh, was sentenced to four years, served 22 months. So my next one is Nick Leeson. Played by Ewan McGregor in the film Rogue Trader, he was behind the Bearings Bank scandal. Did he serve more or less time than? Was he sentenced? I can break me on rule to more or less time than Jordan Belfort. Is he the guy whose daughters were kidnapped? No, no, no. <laughs> That's taken. <laughs> <laughs> so Jordan Belfort was sentenced to four years. Didn't was Nick Leeson sentenced to more or less? Higher or lower? Uh, lower. I'm going to go lower as well. Higher. I'm going to go more. Yeah. Points for Gav and Austin is high. He was sentenced to six and a half years. Next up, Frank Abagnale Jr., played by Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can, uh, fraudster and conman. Uh, Higher or lower, was he sentenced to more or less than Nick Leeson? Sentenced to more. Is is this higher or lower than... um, Nick Leeson. Than Nick Leeson. Lower. And is is the question sentenced or served? Sentenced. Come on, Ozzy. Higher. higher. (laughs) I mean, I knew he said sentence, but I was trying to get... Sorry, I got a lower out. from Gab, a higher from Austin. Alex? Yeah, send, a sentence to more, yeah. And Joel? Definitely. I'm going to go lower. Alex and Austin are right. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison. He only wow. served four, but he was sentenced to 12. Uh, next up, this is why I question whether this man's truly a white-collar criminal, but I guess his, uh, his charge was white-collar. Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> Played by various Robert De Niro, Jason Roberts, Rog Steiger. Uh, convicted of tax evasion. Was he sentenced to more or, le- or f- more or fewer years fewer. than Frank Abagnale? Uh, fewer. I'm going to go less as well. Yeah, I'm going lower as well. You're all right. He was actually sentenced to 11 years, one year less than Frank Abagnale Jr. He only served eight years in various facilities before getting released on compassionate grounds. And finally, again, I don't know why this is counted as a (laughs) white-collar criminal, uh, John Whitewitz, renamed Sonny Wurtzik and played by Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. Charged with bank robbery. Again, I don't know why this is white-collar, but what what was he sentenced to? I reckon more... Bank robbery. I reckon less. I reckon more for bank robbery. It's got to be Five. more, but I'm going to go lower just to be in the cool kid. And that means points for Gavin and Austin. It was more. He was sentenced to 20 years, but actually only served four. Hmm. And now the next part of the quiz I'm just going to give you is a bit of trivia 
on basically stock market films, on Wall Street films. On the stock market. What, but, that what very, is the, uh, very niche genre there. Yeah, what is the Dow Jones at the moment? <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you, Oliver Stone's Wall Street is apparently the first film to show a character using what device? Mobile phone. Alex saying mobile. Anyone got anything else? Flashlight. Flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say mobile as well, yeah. Um, oh, a, a pager. Okay, we got pager from Gav. Joel, what do you reckon? Oh, it's not a bad chat. Uh, a pen. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and our cinema on the money is indeed the first time a mobile phone is seen in cinema. In The Big Short, Wolf of Wall Street star Margot Robbie cameos to explain the concept of what to the audience. And I'll tell you, is it either subprime mortgages or it's CDOs? Which is it? Um, wait, in Wolf of Wall Street? In no, The Big Short. Margot Robbie explains B? what to you. Uh, CDOs. CDOs. I'm going to go mortgages. Joel gets the point. It oh, is subprime nice. mortgages. The late Anthony Bourdain explains CDOs. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Obviously. Idiot. Yeah. He, did, he did explain it well. It's nothing on him. He did. He did. <laughs> he recently passed away. Give him a break. <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street's Leonardo DiCaprio. Get and I know what I was going to say. I'm going to wait until January. <laughs> <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street's Leonardo DiCaprio and rogue traders Hugh McGregor were originally considered for the role of which investment banker? A role which eventually went to one of the stars of The Big Short. Um, Anyone? Well, investment banker. I mm-hmm. can't even think of another investment banker. I don't investment. know any no investment bankers, Starring to be honest Brad Pitt. Don't know. Steve, no. Steve Carell. I'm still no reading that it. you didn't give Matt Allwright his... Christian uh, Bale. Readings. Christian Bale's character. Matt Allwright. The, fuck uh-huh. the, the BBC, <laughs> the BBC. The, the, guy, right, okay. the, the guy runs around chasing plumbers. No, don't, don't know. No one no got idea. it. Alex was no. getting close there. It's Patrick Bateman, the role in American oh. Psycho, which went to Christian Bale. Alex was getting closer. I thought he might get it. I did get it. I'll give it myself. Okay, I'll get it. you know what? Close enough. I'll give you a point. Uh, in trading places, shares in which commodity proved to be the undoing of the Jukes brothers and turn a orange huge juice. profit for the heroes? Frozen orange juice. Anyone else want to disagree with Alex on that one? No, it's bang on the money, isn't it? Sounds perfect. Well, I think everyone gets a point then. (laughs) (laughs) Frozen Orange Juice is quite right. And finally, which US businessman filmed a cameo for the Wall Street sequel Money Never Sleeps in which he gets a haircut alongside Gordon Gecko? although the scene was eventually cut? Trump. Trump. Yeah, probably that prick. It is absolutely right, gentlemen. It's all right. Don't worry about that, Kev. He's a prick. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. It is Donald Trump. Apparently, we're going to get another bad review now. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, that guy might might send us another message. (laughs) Let's start our our podcast, like the episode (laughs) synopsis with Trump's a prick. (laughs) And then go into. (laughs) I'll have to bleep out the prick bit. Okay, uh, so thank you very, very much for that, Dave. Um, okay, uh, this has been a really, really, really difficult one. You know, I didn't actually think it'd be that difficult. I have actually seen the film before. I can't remember that much about it. So this is almost like it was just, just completely fresh to me. Um, you made some really, really valid points. Um, Joel, I, I like what you were saying about um, Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. I think it sounds amazing. I think everybody in the room is in agreement that it was a fantastic performance and they should have got an um, Academy Award for it. Um, I like when you're talking about it being like a sort of a caricature of a Wall Street crash and it's the epitome of sort of a, t- a testosterone film. Um, 
Alex, I, I really like the part when you were saying about it's like having your cake and eating it as well. And the fact that Jordan Belfort is this like horrible person that we really shouldn't be putting up on a pedestal and that it needs a more stronger moral message. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of went for stylishness over morality in a way. Um, I, I mean, the, the cast, I think you're both in agreement that the cast was pretty fantastic. Alex actually argued whether the characters were well written or not, especially female characters in the film i think everybody was in agreement that they could have been written a bit better but joel argued that it was actually you know based on jordan belfort's memoirs so treating them any other way would have actually not been accurate it's a very very difficult one to be honest i think that i mean i think it's no denying that Leonardo DiCaprio gave a fantastic performance and that Martin Scorsese is always stylish and is always going to do a good film, is always going to direct a good film but whether or not this is a story that needs to be told or not is another question I might have to be fair. I think that when you were talking about the fact that this guy is such a horrible shit and the fact that he is a villain but is made out to be a hero, I would find that quite difficult to get behind and all the bad things that would happen to that character, I would find hard to kind of sympathize with him because of all the, you know, misdeeds that he'd done and the fact that there's no sort of resolution at the end. In fact, he sort of gets a reward by appearing in the film himself and probably getting a lot of money from the profits and the the rights to the, the, the book and the film. So, I mean... This is probably going to be an unpopular decision, but I think I'm going to place it on the shit list. Oh, wow! Did not see that coming. No, not at all. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so, sorry, wow. sorry, guys. I mean, like so the thing is, is that when I watched it, I remember, I remember enjoying it, but the th- I can't remember too much about it. I remember enjoying it though. Um, but the, the arguments here for me was that you know he is a horrible person that, that should be demonized or. Like if you're gonna do it like a like a comedy, I, I, I liked what Alex was saying. Why not make it like a a, ty- a, a, a person like Jordan Belfort, or at least focus on some of the negatives that he did, and focus on some of the victims and have some sort of uh, resolution at the end, something where he's like apologizing to his victims and saying, "Listen, I know that it was horrible." can I ask for your forgiveness you know this is what I'm doing to make up for it but it just sounds like it kind of glorified all of his behavior and then didn't say anything else about it at the end it was just like oh well it happened I mean that is what he's like though isn't it like he is a bell end he still is a bell end and to portray it any differently wouldn't have been you know true or correct yeah he's coming on joel's side on this one. <laughs> <laughs> considering just spent the whole thing but if like honest well, opinions honest yeah, opinions alex I, I, if i'm honest i actually think this film is pretty much perfect actually um, i know i know I, I don't normally like doing this but it was my only option uh I, I think Joel's completely right when he. <laughs> sorry, I know I hate doing this, but I, I, you know, this is what you have to do when you're prosecuting it. Uh, I, I do think there's a there's an argument to be made, and that's the argument I made. But I don't actually kind of agree with it. I I, I agree with Joel that this is from Jordan Belfort's point of view. And he's an utter shit, and if you're watching this film and you think he's amazing, then you're a shit as well, basically. Yeah, yeah. And like, it, <laughs> like it, like you know, all these Instagram people have gone onto it. That's kind of the point of the film, I think. It's not trying to... And I think when Ozzy was saying that it's not trying to be moralising, yeah, it could have done that, but then a lot of people would have switched off, I think. And mm-hmm. the power of the film is that it just it just puts it all out there and lets you decide what what to take from it. it and if you no, Yeah, exactly. It? And if you're watching it and thinking, oh, wow, this is a this is great. Look at all the women. Look at the way they're talking <laughs> about... Then that sh- tells you something a little bit about yourself, I think. Yeah. And um, I think that the last scene where Dave was talking about when he's just in that room... 
that just shows you how terrifying it is because people do look up to Jordan Belfort. And this is what the film's saying, you know, people do look... It's very clear about all the terrible things he's done. You know, you don't really need to have that scene when he's talking to the victims because you know they're there. He's telling you they're there. You know I mean? There's no point when he's not saying they're not there. So I think the fact that, like, Jordan Belfort's exist because they live in a vacuum and, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought it was a fantastic film, to be honest. So, uh, Joel, your genuine opinion was, yeah, was pretty it, accurate? Yeah, I mean, when I first kind of read the synopsis, I thought this film, you know, it isn't going to be for me. It's a film about stock traders. I didn't really know much about Jordan Belfort, but when I watched it, it just instantly went into, you know, kind of my top three or four favourite films, I think. Oh, my word. Well, <laughs> I look forward to watching it this weekend anyway and You're seeing lovely. if I made the right call. Um, but, you know... If you but, get death but, threats, don't be surprised. <laughs> I, can for, another, <laughs> I can see another negative review on iTunes coming up. Um, so, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Godfather Part 3. This will be an interesting one. Higher or lower, guys? Higher, Remember, higher. Godfather Part 3 got 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Definitely higher. Higher, you're all going higher, it's right? You all are... Right, it 8. is 8.2. 8. Right. So not that much higher, but still higher. Uh, so, and before we adjourn the case, it's time for a little bit of a caption contest. So what we do here is we take a screenshot of the film and we ask all of our friends and followers on Twitter to provide a caption for it. So this time around, I've taken a still of Leonardo DiCaprio standing in front of all of the people in the office and they are all going bananas, to be honest. And Leonardo DiCaprio is sort <laughs> of almost like shout, he's roaring at the camera, almost like doing a sort of like lion's pose, like he's reaching out to the audience. Um, so I've basically just asked all of our friends and followers to provide a caption. The funniest one, as decided by our gang here, will win a frog-shaped chocolatey treat. Okay, so we're running a little bit behind schedule here. So while this episode has been recording, I have shown all of the guys the 16 captions that we had submitted and they have picked their top two favourite ones. So it's between, number one, it's too damn early for Christmas music. (laughs) (laughs) And number two, (laughs) number two, when you realise your, (laughs) sorry, when you realise your extortionate interior decorator has remodelled the toilet paper dispenser too far away from the toilet. (laughs) I like that one. That's a good one. And you know what? I, I, I've, I've been left with the deciding vote here, and I can't actually pick between the two of them. So I'm going to say Freddo's for both. So congratulations, Aliena, Silvermist, and the Monster Closet. You guys have just won yourselves some Freddo's. Okay, so um, just before we call things a day, we have picked the next film to be put on trial out of the hat at random. And it is one of our fan suggestions. It is cutthroat island so we have picked the roles out of the hat at random and in the role of defense is going to be captain dave in the role of prosecution is going to be my good self in the role of character witnesses we've got austin and alex and (laughs) in the role of judge is going to be joel Uh, hey it's gonna be a very tough one to be honest um because i I seem to remember there being lots of explosions in there so it (laughs) could go either way Uh, so yeah just to say thank you very much for anybody who's listened to this episode uh you can catch all of our past stuff and our future stuff on any podcasting platform or on our website filmsontrial.co.uk why not check us out on twitter at film trials where you can suggest a film for us to put on trial and we will put it in the hat and get round to reviewing it eventually. While you're there, why not check out our friends and collaborators 
Austin Ray and Winston Sang, that's our music producer and our graphic artist, respectively, at Aussie Ray and at the underscore Quirks. Also, why not check us out on all the other social media apps, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So thank you very much, everybody. We will be in your ears next week with Cutthroat Island. Goodbye. (laughs) 